Welcome to the ULI Ottawa podcast, connecting industry professionals and leaders in an active discussion about real estate and land use across the nation's capital. Welcome back listeners to the ULI Ottawa real estate podcast episode number three. Today we'll be focusing on employment in the real estate industry. And we're very lucky to have two well-informed guests here today to speak with us. On my right, we have Sarah Hobbs, the HR business partner for the Tiger Group of Companies. And alongside her, we have Christina Hamilton, principal of Hamilton Recruiting. Welcome to the podcast, folks. Uh, Sarah, why don't you get us kicked off here and tell us a bit more about the Tiger Group of Companies. For sure. Thank you for having me. So I am one of a few HR business partners. We each sort of service one company within the organization and we do a little bit of everything. So we have you know, our real estate and property management arm, but we also have a heavy civil arm. We have two residential home builders. We have a general contractor who focuses more on the commercial side of things. Uh, and then we've also got our corporate shared services. So I take care of Tiger Realty, which is our property arm and the shared services. So that's our legal payroll, HR, IT, all of that good stuff. So, Wow, lots of exciting uh, topics to cover there throughout the podcast. And, and Christina, maybe you can give us a little bit of background uh, on, on yourself. Uh, sure. I spent uh, a long time, almost 27 years in the commercial property management sector. I, I went to McGill, studied labor management relations, and then quickly got out of it, got into the real estate arm. Uh, basically due to a background, my father had a bunch of real estate and was an electrical contractor and I worked in the business for, for years. Um, and so I, when I graduated, I sort of started as a temp receptionist and worked my way up. I spent many years in property management, commercial property management myself, and then did a little bit of leasing. And then uh, in 2017, I found myself laid off uh, unexpectedly and had some time to think about what I really wanted to do. And I, I decided I was kind of uniquely qualified to to work in helping people find interesting jobs and to match good people to great jobs, having an insider's perspective to the business. And uh, it's it's taken off from there. And I, I'm thrilled with the way things are going. So you just dove right in and started your own uh, own business. That's uh, got to be exciting and, and challenging, especially over the last... Uh, last couple of years with everything everything going on so uh, congratulations on the continued success with uh, Hamilton recruiting uh, Sarah maybe um, you could just give us a bit of background on how you found yourself in your role at uh, Tiger yeah so I uh, you know had previously worked in HR in nonprofit and I was looking to join a larger organization a larger team I had no design to, to start in the real estate or construction industry I just was looking for a job uh, my skills were transferable and um, you know, the first couple of months you start thinking like, what am I doing here? This is absolute insanity. And then you sort of dive in and you learn to love it. So that's kind of how I got into uh, into this field. So you were looking for a large company and a large company you have found. Uh, roughly how many employees does the Tiger Group have across the board? So we're sitting at about 800 right now. Wow, that's incredible. And just for listeners, how long has Tiger been uh, around for? Anybody that might not be familiar, I'm sure everyone's seen the trucks and the signs uh, everywhere, but uh, it's it's quite a an amazing story for Ottawa. Uh, so maybe you can just give us a, a bit of history on, on the company. Absolutely. So we um, we're a family business that's in its third generation. It's been around since 1948 when uh, Tiger Construction was founded. And as time has gone on, they've either acquired or just built further companies to sort of really make everything full cycle. 
Yeah, I remember being in uh, in your office a few years ago and seeing a newspaper clipping from one of the first housing developments uh, that you guys were a part of. And, and if you just look across Ottawa, it's amazing to see all the different pieces of the city that you guys have been in, uh, integral in. A lot of them go maybe unnoticed uh, with infrastructure and civil in the in sense of uh, some of those large-scale projects that you guys have taken on, but certainly an incredible impact on, on a city we, we all love. So... Um, yeah, and just a quick thought from myself. Uh, historically, the words HR, commercial real estate, construction, haven't really always flowed very well together. So just to, to your point about, you know, on the first few days you were trying to figure out, okay, what am I doing here? How have you seen an evolution in HR and commercial real estate and, and construction and how have you created, I guess, your own foundation of what HR means at the Tiger Group of, of Companies? Yeah, um, it's very interesting to look back and see how far you have come. There are some days that you're here and you think like, am I, am I still in the right place? Have we done anything? Um, and it's, you know, from when, even from when I started four years ago, um, being able to offer further services, being able to help our staff and our managers and our senior management team, um, I really feel like we've come quite a long way in, uh, in, in our programming at, at Taggart and, you know, Christine and I were talking a little bit earlier about the lack of HR in this industry. Um, you see a lot of consulting, you see a lot of recruiting, but you don't see a whole lot of HR um, within the organization. So it's sort of a, one of those things that you're kind of proud to be at the forefront of. For sure. And I guess, Christina, you probably have a broader view on HR and real estate and construction in Ottawa, given that you're almost like the go-to broker of talent. So uh, it sounds as though Taggart's done a very good job. Good work, Sarah. <laughs> Hope so. Hope so. Um, and not to pick and choose people who haven't done a good job, but I guess what is your perception of the broader HR and where it's going for the real estate and construction community in, in Ottawa? It's it's no doubt a very interesting time for, for HR and, uh, and just the labor situation in general. It's, it's something I think there's not an employee or an employer that's not contemplating what they think about what's going on right now and how it affects them personally and how it affects the future of companies. Um, I do find more companies are focused on future thinking. They're trying to deal with the issues that they're having, the retention issues, the the lack of supply, the mismatch of the, the talent that's out there and the jobs that are that are available. It's, it's a bit of a crisis and I think Ottawa specifically is it's being hit, it's being felt harder here with you know certainly the construction boom and the LRT and all of the multi-res development all of it is hitting us hard the the parliament there you cannot find people and it's without a doubt I think I hear every day from every, from new, every week certainly from new clients they're turning down work because they can't find the people they need to to do the jobs that are out there yeah, and one of the one of the big challenges, obviously, uh, Sarah, with your business working remotely, uh, is not really an option to attract talent for the vast majority. But do you know roughly what percentage of staff would be in the office versus on, you know, boots on the ground uh, on a construction site? Not to hold you to the number by yeah. any means, but uh, just roughly. It's funny. It's a little tough to say. I, you know, you hear a lot about this. Okay, we're returning to the office. We're returning to work. It's the new normal. And you know, we were back in the office as of May 2020. So it's not not that new for us. We've been operational the whole time, and I think maybe I'd say probably 50 to 75 percent in, in terms of our field staff. They're all out working, but for the rest of us, we've been 
you know, adopting this hybrid model, which is great, but I think I'd still say 50 to 75 percent are, are working in the office or in the field. Very few are fully remote. I was at a Greater Ottawa Home Builder uh, breakfast earlier this month, and one of the things that Steve Willis from the City of Ottawa had said was uh, that early on uh, in the pandemic, they had a meeting uh, with their team and basically reflected on what it would mean to actually shut down uh, for a period of time, and they realized how many thousands of jobs uh, would be immediately lost uh, if the building department just shut down and, and stopped uh, moving things forward. And I think he's, um, you know, he certainly made it clear that that was a decision he felt was the right one. I think from an industry perspective, uh, that is absolutely true, given that we're, you know, even though things were still moving ahead, we're at a, a log jam for talent. And, and if those jobs left the industry, then getting them back in is, is another challenge. And you see that a lot with the restaurant industry right now, where talent is, is kind of tired with the on again, off again, um, relationship that COVID has created with that industry. So I'm very thankful anyway that they made that decision and, you know, things, I think they would admit that things can always be better from a process perspective to unlock uh, supply. That's certainly the flavor of the day today. It seems as though labor pools have become very much more transactional because of the in-person or the lack of in-person relationships. Where are you finding the, the labor? Where are you backfilling positions and I mean, how does a, an HR search begin now if people are just treating their jobs as transactions? Yeah, that's a, that's a very interesting question. I think that there's definitely generational differences there. There's definitely, it depends on the job, how people are seeking you out. Um, I feel like I'm, again, not to toot my own horn, but being inside the industry and I'm building a network of people who are then sending me all of their network when they're looking and then you, you have players in each office who I understand the sort of personalities of each office and the types of people that, that fit in an office and those people tend to are, are honestly reaching out to me in a, in a unique way. Uh, other than that we use Indeed and LinkedIn Recruiter and some other tools to find people but um, back to the beginning of your question with sorry transactional nature of this work it's it's becoming more and more that way. I, I think employers who are judging when they're looking at a resume and seeing a lot of a lot of transitions on a resume might be missing out on good people young candidates particularly who are trying to get a sense of where they want to be and where they want to go aren't loyal they're not going to stay five years at a business to decide if they might be interested they're going to job hop until they find the place and so i i find my can my clients that are winning at the game a little bit or are ones that are assessing it sort of taking a risk but understanding we may not keep this this person for 10 years we might not keep them for five years but if we can put them to, if we can start them today and keep them for three years and maybe offer them promotion or growth they'll they'll keep great people so it, but these candidates are really looking for what's in it for them right now and unfortunately they have a lot of power in the in the balance right now I would say yeah it is a it's an employees market so and it's also recognizing even pre-pandemic that the newer generation, um, the tenure isn't there. And not in a bad way. They are looking for something that is going to fulfill them in different ways. Um, they are looking for, for different things. You know, people in general, at the start of their career when they're young, they're just looking for money, right? They want to buy the car. They want to buy the house. They want to, you know, get married and go on vacations. It's not the same kind of need that's fulfilled when you're, when you're older. Um, and, and that's the conversations that I've been having with my managers as well. You're going to keep somebody for two years. This is what it's going to be. Are you willing to have a great person here for two years or a mediocre person here for 10? And, you know, trying to make that argument. Yeah, and I think that's particularly important in, in 
the real estate industry, especially on the construction and development side, where you put together a team to build a project that might last three, four years, and every time that somebody turns over in that project is a really big slowdown on, on productivity. And I think that's one of the biggest challenges that we've seen uh, in the industry is, is there's a musical chairs uh, um, that have been going on for, for a number of years now where people are, are basically promoted into new positions and, and then they move on to the next position and it did really just creates some dysfunction in the, in the labor market. I think, you know, from my perspective, I think having the transparent conversation with the employee saying, look, I see that you bounced around from job to job over the last couple of years and that's totally understandable. How do we provide you with the environment that makes you want to stay? And, and it's part making that statement, but I think it's more important to be able to follow through with it because the moment that you don't follow your side of the bargain in terms of, of giving them that opportunity to move into that next position, um, that's when you're, you're going to see them understand that you know maybe I'm gonna try the next spot and uh, and that can be really really challenging it sounds like hiring's very hard right now and then I guess if you add an additional layer of corporate governance that um, has become more and more important over the last call it five years how do you how do you manage that I guess over to the recruiter of the room <laughs> how do you send a list of ten uh, candidates if you can't tick three of the four of the boxes, um, if you can't tick three or four of the boxes um, that are that's laid out there for you. Ten. I'll take ten any day. <laughs> that's what I was going to say. That's, the, that's it. That's the biggest problem is, and I'll be honest, most of my clients are entrepreneurial small companies and I'm often dealing, if I'm not dealing, I may be dealing with Sarah, but I'm also, you know, getting some feedback from Julie Tiger as well, or or often I'm dealing with the owner of the, the business here in town. So you, you can get there or you can explain to them. I can't give you 10 people, I can give you, I'm going to send you one and you're going to have to make a judgment if that person, because that great person isn't going to be available, you know, three days from now, if they're that great, not always the case. And you, you know, you, you guys certainly know stories where people are, you know, you're entertaining discussions for a long period of time, but for the types of roles, administration, accounting, marketing, those type of things, you need to act fast and you need to decide what are the instead of the 25 things that we want you to see on a that the, the sort of typical job description that most employers post what I like to do is break down what are the five or six main job functions that you need to, what what do they really need to do and where can we creatively find people for example I've hired residential property managers who I've taken from sort of luxury like weekend cottage companies out west where they run things differently so you can find but you have to have a hiring manager or an HR manager that's open to it and sometimes an HR manager and the hiring manager that are open to it right so so it's it's a it's creativity and it's just understanding what do you really need to get this job done? What are those essential skills, background, education, all the, the, the essential things are one thing, and then trying to match someone with the soft skills and the, the future potential, I would say. So one of the philosophies that I've kind of enjoyed learning more about is kind of the, the hire fast and fire fast mentality, right? Where you sign up with a, with a potential employee and you know you come together on what the value they're going to bring to the table is there's a compensation package that aligns with that on both parties kind of agree to it and it's kind of beholden on both both parties to make sure that that stays true through the process right so if if i don't think companies mind paying 
top dollar for talent if they can address the problems that they have. The problem uh, happens on both sides where either you have a, an employee that is delivering exceptional results but isn't given the growth plan both from an uh, opportunity perspective but also maybe a compensation perspective. That goes off one side uh, of the equation and that person ends up leaving to a different job inevitably, right? Right. The other side of the equation is when an employee says, I'm going to bring this much value, here are all the great things I'm going to do, and all of a sudden it doesn't deliver on that or it's not as seamless as it was made to see in terms of maybe they don't have all of that experience that it looks like they have on a resume. And so how challenging is it in the market right now to you know, for, for those breakups to exist the other way. I know it's obviously very easy to break up for the employer, employee to go somewhere else, but I know there's other industries that really struggle with, um, you know, termination for cause even, like, you know, the restaurant uh, industry is a... Yeah, uh, I'll let you speak to that because you, you face more of the other side. The only thing I would say about that before passing it over to you is that um, I think what the key is is good communication. And I... I've seen it in my own history. Like if there's things that aren't working, right, just talk about it. And if it's people that don't know what's going on, if they if they get a sense that things aren't right and they're not being communicated with, they'll make up their own reality and they'll leave. And so if you could potentially be losing great employees, I've, I, again, had three clients that lost key employees last week for not for situations not not being ideal but maybe too much work they, you know there's jobs around that are left being filled and they're, they're, that's this is happening regularly but maybe a, you know a, a quick conversation about what you're trying to do to real, realize it or giving just some understanding that things are going to get better this is what we're trying to do if you know anyone if there's anything you can do people want to know what's going on and so I think that's something that every employer can take to heart and just have your managers talk to their staff and make sure that they're happy and not that that they should get everything they want but just straight up communication is key i would say yeah um that cause word just no i wouldn't touch that with a barge pole to be honest there's there's some really high criteria you need to meet for to terminate for cause but um, i'm going to argue with you on the fire fast because i agree with christina uh, it should be fire slow um, you know, somebody should have a chance to address any issues that have come up, right? Again, that communication piece of, of okay, I can see that this is slipping. Let's work through this together. Let's address this. Let's, let's go through the whole process. Um, it may seem fast from an outside perspective, but in working with, uh, with our staff, um, when we have unfortunately had to do it, um, it's been a, a slow process in the back end because we want to make sure that we, we address it, we give people chances to, to improve. And sometimes we've had people say, oh my goodness, I had no idea that this was the perception of me, I had no idea I was doing this incorrectly, I had no clue, and turn around and just make it work. You know, they've really taken it to heart and, and been in that place where they're grateful that they, they heard that feedback. And of, of course, you know, sometimes they're, they're not, it just depends. But, um, you know, again, it's, it's, yeah, going back to that communication piece, really trying to take that there. Well, I would just say it also depends on the role. I could see maybe some of the development projects that you that you see regularly or some of those where, where employees are coming in saying I am going to do this for you and I'm going to achieve this in a set amount of time and if the, it would be there'd be clear indicators of whether that's going to be done or not done and that's that might be slightly different yeah so not that I you know I think podcast is a great place to have disagree disagreements but I actually don't I, I think we're aligned completely in in what you're saying in the sense that um, my perspective is that when you realize that there's no 
getting to that place that you need to be, don't try and force it. Like I think that's, I don't think it's good for either party in the long run. Obviously, <laughs> um, it's it's a shorter pain for the person you're letting go, but at the end of the day, it can be a good lesson um, that they can, you know, in this market can recover from pretty quickly, I think, uh, and learn and evolve as, as an employee. I think that's, uh, that's critical, but I, you know, I just, I find it's, it's an interesting market because there's a lot of senior talent that is going to be turning over and companies are going to be looking for people that can step into those roles and are willing to, you know, pay for that experience because there's only so much experience in the industry to go around and getting those key people and finding ways for them to, to stay with the company is, is really interesting. And I, I think, you know, finding new ways for incentive programs, whether it's looking at tech space where they get really, you know, creative and invested in, you know, how the company does as a whole, much more than just the typical, you know, there might be profit sharing models and those sorts of things for key employees, but, you know, stock option plans in some some respect, I, I haven't seen mainstream into the industry. It's certainly something we're trying to figure out on a project by project basis, how can we incentivize the team, but also not make it kind of like handcuffs that you've got to stick around for three or four years to, to get that benefit. And so breaking it up into what that specific person's job is and tying those uh, those performance metrics to that role itself. So as, as an example, if it's somebody that's looking at acquiring properties, you know soon after you've bought the property how good of a buy that property was, right? And so benchmarking their performance on that acquisition instead of you know, we'll wait till the end of the project and we do really well with the project, then we'll come back and, you know, pat you on the back for doing a great job buying the site. Um, I think that's, you know, looking at more innovative kind of performance metrics where you're tying performance and compensation together is, is interesting. The challenge is like, how do you measure all the KPIs? And I guess the question that I have for you, if, if, are we seeing any evolution in you know, key performance indicators, or is it still the, you know, six-month review and we're going to go through a, um, like a, a checklist sort of thing, especially with remote work, right? right? It's really hard to measure productivity when you don't see somebody five days a week. Yeah, I, I have not, I think you're you're absolutely onto something, and it's something I try to do as the go-between between companies and candidates is find the unique things that might make life better for a candidate and try and find the match, and it's helpful maybe to have a go-between where you can say this is something that's really important to them. Is there any way they can have every second Friday noon, Friday afternoon off but work those extra hours? Or there's, there's some small things that may not even cost a company money that would be incentive for a person, a good person to leave a job that they're in, for example, but boy, money talks more than anything, there's no doubt about it. And I I think very few companies are thinking that way, Kevin, I'll be honest with you. And if, if you can go along that path, it, it would be an amazing, it was an amazing opportunity. Because even sales people, I work with a few residential brokers and they can be reluctant to even put small bonuses on transactions, which I, I just think people want to feel part of something. They want to feel that their their piece is making a difference. And the more they feel that way, the more they're going to give you everything they have to, to, to make it happen. But I, I don't, no, certainly no client is coming to me telling me about those in fact, bonuses seem to almost be going the other way, where it's you know very specifically ten or fifteen percent of your of your salary, and there's there's metrics in there as far as you know five percent based on your performance, five percent based on your division, five percent based on the company's overall performance, but less so about specific processes. So it sounds like you haven't seen very many creative compensation <laughs> packages yeah. uh, coming out of the pandemic. Pandemic, sorry. 
Not yet. I mean, again, it's interesting. I do tend to work not the the higher the C level jobs as much. So part of it is, you know, I'm property managers, marketing people, uh, construction, all that type, building operators. Those jobs are are certainly set up that way much less often. Yeah, and I think that is completely, um, that makes a lot of sense for certain jobs. There's lots of jobs that attract um, a workforce that doesn't want to take that risk, right? They want exactly. the certainty of the job, and that's, you know, you've got to be able to offer that for, for those uh, those people. I, I look at it as maybe a bridge to getting to that point where, you know, an employee can earn, if they come in and, and do the job that they say they're going to do and, and do an excellent job and outperform, then they can earn something that they wouldn't be able to get anywhere else, right? right. And so that's that's where we're looking at it uh, from that perspective to try and make it make it really interesting. Um, it's certainly not easy because you're basically building part of that relationship from the ground up is built on a promise that is you know to be determined, right? Right. Uh, and so communication and, and structure is really critical to to understanding you know checking in to make sure throughout the process it's not just waiting till the end and be like did it work or not work yes or no, it, it's got to be kind of a fluid process, I think. Right. Um, but, but the idea that it's tied to specific periods of time instead of, you're right, if you're waiting for a project to be completed in five years is a, is a different thing. And so many factors can come into play in those five years that may or may not have anything to do with each individual's performance. So it's... It's, you, you have an interesting challenge out of me there, but it sounds amazing. Yeah, I mean, uh, I think you know, one of the things that's interesting for me is you, you look at annual reviews and, and bonuses and that sort of thing, and I think it's that predictability presents some problems. I know, um, you know, there is uh, there are a lot of people that they'll get to a certain point and make a decision, hey, I'm going to leave this job to go over here, but I'm going to wait till uh, I'm going to wait till February 1st because that's when the, my bonus is paid, and then they leave, right? Because there's not, and that's I think that happens frequently and it's um, you know at the end of the day that scenario is not great for either the employer or the employee because the employer is getting you know a worker that is basically mailed it in is not really that motivated to, to continue to drive value for the company uh, and the you know the employee is just kind of sitting sitting there waiting to, to move to the next phase and they're not happy with necessarily what, what they're doing on a day-to-day -day basis either yeah no you're absolutely right yeah um, in terms of people that you see coming into the industry, one of the pieces that I'd really like to focus on, um, you know, for ULI is how to promote people to come into the industry. I think there's lots of reason to get excited for people uh, to join the industry. I think the opportunities are endless. Whether you want to own your own business, whether you want to, you know, come out of school, uh, high school, or a trade trade school or university. And, and have a very meaningful uh, career out of the gate, uh, and the value you can add in that, that role is really important. Uh, where, where do you find most people are starting out? Again, it's quite a range, would you say? Absolutely. Yeah, quite a range. I, for the, you know, the brokerage type jobs, it tends to be business school grads, finance specialists often, or people that, that know about the industry, but there's, I spend a good chunk of my time educating people on what 
property management is, what commercial development is. They, there's a whole, I grew up with it, but not everyone did. And it, it's, it's surprising how many people don't even think about who runs the buildings in the, in the heart of their city. And it would never occur to them that there's a whole industry there. So it is something I think we all collectively have to spend some time doing. I, I've been talking to people at BOMA about potentially like, it'd be great to even have some job just like job explanations because you know what is the difference between a development manager and a commercial property manager and there's and there's there's a wide variety of how each company staffs those roles certainly but there is infinite potential and and uh, once i start talking to people they get so excited about the business so we we need to you're right we need to find a way in and how do we start talking about what the sounds the like you're describing um, a glossary of terms I think we need it. I think we need it. Yeah. Now there's some great schools like Guelph and Ryerson, UBC. There's some great real estate schools now. So there's people. I do find many of those people have had someone close to them who was in the commercial real estate sector, and and sort of they found that program because they had a, an interest. Um, and it, it can be hard. I've tried hard to get some of those people to come to Ottawa. They don't all want to come to Ottawa. Uh, so I'm doing my part to try and move people here. But uh, I I I I think. We could collectively, as an as an industry, do better. We could we could decide, you know, just start creating those terms and and just mapping out career paths of of what's available. And I've started to do a lot of it actually. We've been starting to create some blogs and that type of thing. But it gets tricky because again, the differences between companies and how they run those jobs and and what their expectations are for. Background. You mentioned earlier that you were doing a lot of work in like the architectural and design uh, industry as well, which I guess is all part of real estate and construction. Do you find it's easier to attract for jobs like that, which historically have pretty strongly defined lines of what it means to be an architect or what it means to be a designer versus a real estate broker or a development manager? So is it is it easier to fill those roles? No. Perhaps <laughs> they are no. very, very, very difficult. And I, if if I could probably fill six or seven senior technicians, like architectural technician roles, right now, because it's it's very hard to find new grads, certainly, but even anyone with the five five to seven years experience that understand that understand how buildings go together. There's a lot of graduates, but what's there seems to be a gap between. I think some of the people entering into the programs are unfortunately don't have a natural aptitude is what I'm learning from and or, or experience with our building systems and the way our the way our climate affects our building system. So all of that is is leaving a bit of a problem and I, I, it's not one that will quickly go away, I think. There's it might even be a bigger problem than what you're describing, right? Like it's a huge, it's an issue. It's a real, real issue. And the same with architects. There's, I, again, I have a couple of clients who could, I could staff every level of architect intern intermediate senior even sort of partner partner potential because of the boom we have going on here and it's it's not uncommon that architects are turning around you know strong architects with great reputations are turning around turning um, down all kinds of work now that's it, it, it may it may be a boom now that may turn around in a few years but right now there's a bit of a crisis point I would say Absolutely. Um, in terms of, so coming out of school is one way to come in. Have you guys seen a, a boom at all in immigration, like new new entrants to Canada coming in with experience from other countries that, you know, I know the province is trying to shift focus to helping facilitate that. Uh, I heard an ad for a website or something for Ukraine uh, immigrants coming in that you can go on, uh, go through a list of those people with their skills and, and help 
direct them to jobs. Uh, so I'm excited to hear that. I know there's lots of um, there's lots of underutilized talent that ends up you know coming to Ottawa and they end up having to take five steps back in their career because um, they're not their skills are not recognized here as they were back home and and I'm hopeful hopeful that that's going to be a short-term uh, solution that we can address because encouraging people to go to school getting that preliminary experience and then getting into those more senior leadership roles is a very long uh, window, right? Yes, and that's absolutely. not going to solve things like the housing crisis. I think labor force is one of the leading, if not the leading issue uh, facing the industry. And, and that's not a quick fix to, to change people's perceptions of what to go to school for, or what career paths are there. Uh, I mean, I was, in the, I was in the industry for probably a year and a half before I really understood what, what opportunities there were on the commercial real estate side. So I was selling residential real estate, not really realizing the other world out there, right? And, right. and if I missed it, it, you know, while I was in it, I can only imagine how it's just kind of an afterthought and people end up meeting somebody that they like that's in the industry and that's how they end up there. But there exactly. should be a, you know, more of a recruitment um, effort made to, to really chart out what paths can exist in the space, I think. I, it's personally a, 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 one of my favorite pieces in the business is when you can find someone, a, a recent immigrant, or it, it, often even someone who's been in, in the country for a year, who has proven that they, they understand the way things work here and they're, they're succeeding in a role that seems like often in Toronto I find these people, but, but they're constantly being overlooked for roles and when you find them a perfect opportunity, it is the most fulfilling thing and they, they are proving to be amazing employees for my for my clients that are willing to take those take those risks they, they do see it as a risk they there's it's more the perception of oh they won't understand how business is done here or it's going to take me longer to train we don't have time to train now so I can't go there but many of these people are engineers with architectural degrees they've they've run you know I had one candidate who was running he was working on a 77 floor tower in Abu Dhabi and he's applying for a residential property like it's they're so incredibly over over qualified for roles here but as long as you, you can prove that they have the ability to do the job it, it can be a, a really big win for both both parties and they tend to be candidates who are so motivated to work they want to work hard they want to make a living here in Canada and, and, and they they're really happy to do to, to. I, I had someone who took a job he was living in Toronto and he was willing to to start a position 11 days he was he moved from Toronto in 11 days and took the job and started with a, with the company and they it's worked out so well if you're listening you know who you are <laughs> and, and uh, the, the company's talking about hiring a second person of sim similar qualifications you can send him the link so he doesn't miss exactly but no I, it's the, the, it Hamilton just makes me, it makes me so happy to see that because it it can be really hard to convince hiring managers and it's not it's not pure it's not pure discrimination that you think it's it's oh, I don't have the time I don't have the would you would you agree sir agreed and and the other piece of that you talk about overqualified well they're gonna be bored in this role yeah. that's what I hear a lot they're gonna be really bored they're gonna move on in, in six months or a year they're just it's so not it's not the case it's right? not the case I mean some I, I had one candidate like that who was working at Best Buy because nobody would hire him and so he felt that he you know yeah he might have been bored but he needs a job and he wants an opportunity and they're willing to just they're willing to come in and start at, at typically at a much lower than their worth level and just prove themselves and I think there's a lot to be said for that in this in this economy it's not what we hear every day on the on our typical interview is it yeah <laughs> yeah 
Everybody loves a good comeback story. Yeah, I know. I, know. <laughs> I got a big heart. I love to see these people succeed. And I love a hard worker, right? I love someone who's willing to do the work. And I, I think that I don't, it's great to find potential in, in candidates and, then, and have your companies benefit from that. Absolutely. The spectrum of candidates that you're describing or you have described over the course of the uh, podcast, like you've got on one side these people who are quick to give up on their jobs if they're not enjoying them, then you've got these other people who are just so desperate for a job. It really describes this weird dichotomy of the labor pool right now. Exactly. Yeah. Um, We see a lot of that, you know, wildly overqualified and wildly underqualified. You know, we get people who are, you know, CEO of, of a business applying for a coordinator role and you're thinking, why um you just you know it's, it's very curious and then you see people who unfortunately um you know strong candidates but you know you see people leaving the restaurant industry like we were talking about earlier um but they need a technical background so we can't consider them you know it's it's unfortunately they don't meet those those core competencies for the role you think maybe they'd be great but um in this case if they don't have that architectural tech background if they don't have a civil engineering background, um, yeah. it's a marketing that's, degree or whatever it is. Exactly, yeah, it's, that's it's very really hard to tricky. match, and you feel for them. You see a lot, and it's it's sort of like I wish I could wish I could hire more of you, but they're not applying for the roles that they I might want to slot them into. To be honest, are you finding though, um, maybe Sarah Taggart and and Christina the broader view that companies are taking chances on some of these people? Like you know, back in the day, it was. My dad's a plumber, so I'll be a plumber. Do you ever find these roles or these people who are coming out of different industries where they just need a chance, and if you give them that chance, they knock it out of the park? I think it depends on the role. Like I said, if there's a technical background, um, that's a hard hard sell. You know, if we need a PNG, it's got to be a PNG. You know, um, but if we do have a role where there are transferable skills, absolutely, it's let's take someone who, you know, you can train for skills. That attitude, that that sort of work ethic, um, that's not something you can train up, and that's something that you want and you want to foster and sort of engender in your staff. Yes, I, I agree, hundred percent. It depends on the role, but it also and it depends on the person. Like you get a sense of it. it. It also often depends on the company. Certain companies are willing to take those chances. Certain companies are not. Certain companies are, are very structured, and it's understandable. You you start growing to the size that you're dealing with, you do have to have similarity between different jobs, where my smaller entrepreneurial shops can morph their jobs to the people and then they sort of shift around as their as their um, staff changes. But I do, I do find if you can find someone, the ones that are really willing to start as a, you know, they've been managing restaurants and they're willing to come in as a property administrator for a while and do the work, you can find a gem of an employee as long as they can be involved and be learning. From different people, and, and I find that's where the wins are. There, the salary can be really difficult. People have to pay their mortgages, and and they can they, that can be a tougher sell. But uh, for for the most part, I would say people on the younger side without huge debt and and that have some options to there. You can find some. You can really. I've seen people take huge steps in their career, coming out of the restaurant management industry or or other sectors as well. Yeah, I think that's encouraging news, uh, to be honest. I think, um, so So, where would you start? Do you actively go out and try and find these people or are they finding you? Uh, what's that What's that process look like for a new entrant to Canada to, to get in touch with people? Because I, I assume that's one of the biggest challenges for somebody new into a city is who do I talk to about a job, right? It's You can look around and look at buildings and signs and go online and, and respond to all of the ads, but I've got to think for every ad out there, there's probably 10 
jobs sitting there just waiting to be filled because they just don't have enough people. And so it's not necessarily always just you know combing through the, the classifieds. I think for, for the right person that has the right opportunity and the right skill set, there's a lot of companies that would either morph the role as you've, you've talked about or create a new role because they can you know see what, what potential that individual can bring to the table. Yeah, it's, you'd be you'd be astounded how we are found all over the world. You would say the same. Like people from all over the world are applying to our jobs. They want to come to Canada. They see it as a as a land of opportunity. And so, regularly, if I run an Indeed ad, for example, I would say ten percent, five to ten percent, higher for me. Yeah. yeah, I would say probably probably thirty percent of the applicants I get are overseas. Depending, I. I like to think I make a, I write a good ad, but I make it a bit, a bit more of a sell, I would say. So I'm selling the benefits of a job, and I don't know if, if that's part of it. It, all, it also does very much depend on the role. The technical ones, I think the technical search, it's easy to find that search, but sometimes it shocks me. Like I'll, I'll post an ad at 10 o'clock at night, I wake up and there's 40 applicants from overseas. So it, it, it's... It's quite shocking, and, and they're not people I can consider because they can't get here. It, but it and it's a bit frustrating to be honest as a recruiter to go through all those. But but at the same time, the, them finding you isn't typically the problem, especially if you're using some of the more common um, searches. But the other thing is when I get applicants for one job because I I specialize in this sector. I spend time talking to any or my team. We spend time talking to anyone that could be a potential fit for the industry. So it's it's a benefit to, to me if you if you're running across all industries, you can you don't really have time to do that. But but I take real time trying to make where could this person fit and if they have the skills and the attitude or you that comes out in the resume, that helps. So if someone might apply from who doesn't have a lot of experience here, if, if I can talk to them about where they can fit in, that's where we've had real success too. Interesting. What is the process, if, if somebody were to, con like is there a, an easy path for somebody in another country to find a job and chart down, you know, the steps to, to get to, you know, landing in Canada and starting work? Is that is that something that is reasonably uh, attainable or is there a lot of red tape to, to kind of pushing that forward. Yeah, I would say kind of both. Again. Yeah. And there's people that are very good at it. So I, I have emails from people that say, in 10 months, I am planning to move to Canada. This is what I've done. This is, and like, those people are very interesting to me because they've researched it all. They know more about the process, far more than I do about the system. So there are people, they tend to be sort of financer, they're, they're very high level employees who know where they're coming and which companies they want to talk to and they want, and they'll seek advice. And the, they ask a lot of really smart questions and they start build a relationship and then they come to Canada and stay in touch so they they tend to be people strong like English language skills obviously that helps um, but it, it is it, it's amazing how they they're with the internet you can find out all kinds of it's amazing what you can learn right so they, these people are doing that well and there are other people that they, they, they just apply to every job you ever post yes. and you, and I never have a conversation with them because there's not a fit and I can't help them no. and there's also a requirement um, by the government that you have to prove that the job cannot be done by a Canadian citizen here in Ontario who's or, or a PR um, before you can sponsor a visa. So if right. I'm looking for a laborer or a building operator, um, 
the, the criteria for me to prove that I can't find someone to do this job, even though the market is tight, we, we could you know hire someone from again retail, yeah. uh, customer service. Um, that, that that criteria is pretty high, so it's not even something we can consider in some cases, depending on the role. Yes. Interesting. And in the world of remote work, have you guys seen any any of your clients take more of an interest in potentially you know outsourcing? Uh, I mean, if you've got an employee that is, um, you know, working remotely, obviously there are, are places in the world like the Philippines where, you know, you can pay somebody three times the, you know, the national uh, salary, average salary, and it's still a fraction of what you you pay here. I know it's it's controversial in uh, in some respects in terms of making sure that it's a you know, you're not taking advantage of, of the situation, but I know there are a number of companies where it comes to like call centers or like property management, um, you know, responses, that sort of thing are, are outsourced. Uh, right. And I'm curious because typically, um, I think the viewpoint was, I want to be able to have somebody in office that I can know and trust and uh, go to if I have a problem. Well, if you're doing that on Zoom or Teams anyway, is that is that something that you've seen any, uh, any Pick up yeah, I've no. not, I've not seen it yet. I, to be honest, the almost without exception, um, owners that I deal with are wanting their staff back largely in the office, if if not entirely. Um, some are n- none were open to remote working. I don't think before, except for maybe certain few positions or certain individuals that were working that way. But but now I I have certain clients that will that are open to maybe two days a week working remotely, and I think that's an exception. Our industry is just, it's bricks and mortar. That's what they're used to. They're seeing that things aren't quite working as well as they used to. And so they want people back in the office. So for that reason, they, they may not be as open to those kind of opportunities. I have so many thoughts on this, but I've sound um, very biased when I mention them, given that I'm an office leasing broker. <laughs> yeah, I know, and on previous podcasts, tricky. I've already sounded off about my thoughts. But it does lead me to a another question. Um, so work-life balance is obviously important with millennials, I think, being the highest percentage of employees in the workforce now in North America. Uh, are you at least seeing a little bit more accommodation with your clients or maybe maybe even at Taggart there's a bit more accommodation for the, the people who are in their mid-30s who have two or three children but they're really good at their jobs so you know they're going to log back on and finish the work that they couldn't do between four and six. So is it more like a trust exercise, like take the balance you need, but we know that by Tuesday morning, all of Monday's work will be done. Uh, and I guess how are people dealing with that and what kind of conversations are, are employees and employers having surrounding that? So do you want to start with that? Sure. I mean, it, again, it depends on the role, right? So if we've got operations staff, um, you know, we're happy to be flexible in terms of start times because, you know, if you've got to do the drop off or you've got to do the pickup, that kind of stuff. But it's, it's boots on the ground, right? You need to physically be in your building, walking your sites, walking your buildings. Um, but for others, it's definitely something that has sort of come out of the pandemic that's been really good. Um, like, like Christina was saying, you know, prior to this, the remote work wasn't very much of a possibility and now it's, oh yeah, you'll log back on later? Okay, that's great, no problem. Um, and you know, we talked about sort of measuring output when you're working remotely. Um, I would disagree, I think you really can. It, it depends on, again, depends on the role, but if you're producing, then the manager is happy. If you're radio silence and there's no communication and there's no there's nothing that's being produced, that's when we see issues coming out of it. That's a good point. I think that um, the last two years has sort of opened people's minds to being, you know, it used to be, I need to finish all this work by five o'clock and I'm just gonna, even if it's sloppy, I'm just gonna get it off and it'll be in Sarah's inbox so you can read it tomorrow morning. 
Whereas now, um, people like yourself and the way you've just described that to me, it's acceptable to knock on your desk or knock on your door, sorry, and say, uh, hey, Sarah, I'm, I'm going to get to this tonight. You'll have it for 9 a.m. when you want to read it on Tuesday. Yeah, yeah, I think that's accurate. Um, like I said, yeah, depending, but um, a lot more people are definitely doing that. And it's, I think a lot more managers are also realizing that, that you know, this is a way to draw staff in. Yes, we can be flexible. This is a bit of a perk that, you know what, you don't have to rush and scramble and produce something sloppy. You can, you can go and do the pickup. You can go to swim class. You can go do whatever you need to do with your children and then log back in at 8 p.m. and get it done. It'll be there the next morning. You know, that, that sort of end of business uh, has sort of stretched out a little bit, I think. You know, yeah, I'll get this to you by end of day. Well, when is that now? It's not 5 p.m. anymore. So. It's interesting because it wasn't that long ago, pre-COVID, where there were companies that basically went the opposite way with freedom, right? In the sense that uh, I think it was Volkswagen uh, made it so that all of their phones uh, shut off at uh, at five o'clock, and you can't send an email, you can't do anything outside of of I'll say the nine to five. And so, obviously, you know, we we went on the deep end uh, out of necessity. Uh, it's what we needed to do. Uh, I certainly think we're going to end up closer to what we were originally than maybe even where we stand today. Uh, and that's, uh, I think, been fairly consistent with most, most people we've, we've spoken to uh, on the subject. But it makes it, it's, it's really interesting in terms of that measurement of productivity because if, if you just measure productivity today of what you're getting today versus two years ago, it doesn't necessarily mean that you're that productive working remotely, which might not have been productive to begin with. Uh, and there might be employees that, you know, this working remote thing uh, actually uncovers some of those, uh, uh, those nuances that somebody just equated, you know, somebody sitting in a chair eight hours a day with productivity, which I think we all know is not necessarily uh, productive, but you kind of assume that it is because they're spending the energy sitting in the chair at the very least, right? Now it's, you know, wondering, oh, what what has this person been doing for the last three days? And you don't really have a measure, so you're now starting to pay a bit more attention to the output uh, and the workload. And I think that's that's the the really big issue is when an employee, if they don't have something on their desk, it, they have to go and say, hey, I don't have anything on my desk. It's not acceptable just to be like, okay, I'm going to go sit in a lounge chair in my backyard for the next couple of days and wait for a few emails to come in. Uh, and that's, I think, going to be a, a pretty big problem uh, on, for both both employer and employee going forward. Yeah, and there's also the uh, the right to disconnect is coming down the pipe as well. So right. what that's going to look like in terms of how flexible we can be and, and what that looks like in terms of the relationship between the employee and the manager, that'll be interesting to see that when, that, be when that gets rolled out. Because so it's, yeah, it may it may hinder some of the progress that's, yeah. been, that's been happening, right? Do tell more on on that. That's new. I don't I don't know uh, exactly what that is. So uh, the right to disconnect. Yeah. So okay. HR hat back on. So they're introducing legislation with regards to not having to respond, quote unquote, after hours. So you don't have to respond to that email from your boss if you signed out for the day. You don't have to answer a call, or if you do, you you you're compensated for it. Um, but then where is that bright line? Right, so for staff that are, are, well, I'm going to go drop my kids off and I'll be back online at 8. Do I have to respond to that email at 8 p.m. if I don't have children and I just signed out at 4.30? So we've kind of have to, got to nav we've got to navigate that uh, going forward as of, as of June. So we'll see, we'll see where we end up with that. And I think a lot of companies are going to have to do that as well. So. I've never heard of that, um, but now that you mention it, I've noticed recently on my um, Outlook that if I'm writing or drafting an email after hours, a little pop-up says that 
uh, on the top before you hit send. Consider consider sending this email during business hours. Oh, that, I always that's your anyways. that's your internal. <laughs> yeah, email? so that's I so think it's like our internal email is just prompting you to like, hey, it's eight p.m. on Tuesday. Consider hitting send at nine a.m. Right. Tomorrow. Or just schedule it for the next schedule day in Outlook. You can do that. It's a great feature. Uh, yeah, well, if if Microsoft works. could make that more straight, and maybe they need to advance the technology, because I would do that all the time. One of the things we talk, uh, I talk to with everybody on our team is if I send you an email, like I, I work really unusual hours sometimes where I'll send emails at 2 or 3 in the morning or something. Obviously, one, I don't want that to wake you up, so make sure your phone's on silent. If there's a panic situation, we'll pick up the phone and call you. Uh, but you know, disregard any emails outside of, of your working hours. Uh, that That is me trusting that they're doing that. I also don't want that to just constantly chip away at, uh, at their enjoyment, right? And it's, I don't mean it to disrupt anything they're doing. And certainly I think it's part of that communication that you talked about and having that dialogue on a regular basis to make sure that, hey, this is the structure we agreed on and it's working or it's not working, we need to change this. Um, but I'd be curious to see how they can, um, you know, the tools that will be available to, to streamline that because I would use the scheduling email a lot more uh, than I would because, you know, I find that sending an email at a certain time of day elicits better responses than at off hours, right? So that's actually kind of selfish for reasons for using it where I want somebody to actually read the email as opposed to sending it, you know, at the end of the day when somebody's just trying to get out and you know they're not going to do anything, it can land in their inbox right at eight o'clock in the morning and it's one of the first things they're going to do as opposed to trying to go through all of the other things that have bumped up in the queue, right? Um, Another consideration for us is sort of hours of operation. So, you know, our site's open at 7 a.m. Guys are, sometimes they're there at 5.30 if they so choose. And we have sales centers that are open till 7, 8 p.m. They're open on the weekends. So, again, where where's that line? Yeah, so where's that line? And how do you manage it? How do you manage the, the fact that the person said they were leaving, but then they log back on and then yeah. want to be compensated for that? It's a tr those are tricky factors. Exactly. Those. And, like, business hours for me may not be business hours for you. So, yeah, exactly. So what are some things, if you guys had to, we're getting to the end of, of our time, uh, and I'm just wondering if you guys have maybe a couple ideas on what empl both employers and employees can do to, to better position themselves in the environment we find ourselves in today. My, my ultimate factor would be um, open-mindedness <laughs> and with candidates and, and how they might be able to do the job maybe with a little help, and I, I would encourage employers to think about maybe building in some time for training. I know that's really hard, but uh, as you've alluded to too, that a great employee isn't necessarily going to come with all the experience that you want, but you can't train problem-solving mentality or intelligence or commitment. You can't train those things. So if you find someone who can, can do those things with a little bit of training, maybe a mentorship program with someone else in your company or something, I, that, that I think is key. Um, yeah, agreed. The other thing might be flexibility and and just try to understand um, what might make this a better opportunity for, for a candidate and how can you solve their problems so that they can solve your problems. You know, that, that's a, those are big things for me. Um, and then communication is always a big one. But We've, talk, we've talked about that in the past uh, on both sides. You know, it's that communication piece and, um, you know, also hearing from candidates. I think people get nervous when they're, when they're applying for jobs and they're approaching employers to, to talk about what they want. Um, and you know, the answer might be no. It might be that we cannot meet your ask. But if, unless I know what it is that you want, um, I can't even try. Yeah, that's a good point. And, and yeah, it sometimes helps to, to be to have someone in the middle of the people that are that are 
negotiating so you can this is what they want this is what you want it's like a mediator almost in, in that, in that the broker of talent the, yeah, Christina not, Hamilton. that's not really a plug but he, maybe it's you between <laughs> the hiring really manager and the candidate. <laughs> but it's but it's true it helps to have someone who can explain if you just consider this before they ask you and that can go a long way yeah. just like small things that, and maybe it's maybe the office is closer to where they live so they can be home to take their kid to hockey or maybe it's maybe it's um, a, a accommodating start time a little bit or working from home one day a week. Sounds like for any good successful project there needs to be concessions on both sides. I think so, yeah, I think so. Well, so Christine, I know you didn't want to have a marketing plug uh, for yourself there, but if, if there's people out there listening that are interested in the industry, uh, interested in maybe a specific role, how does uh, someone get a hold of you? Uh, yeah, I, I'm happy to talk to anyone who's keen to get a, a break in the, in the business or just wants to understand what kind of opportunities are out there. Um, so do uh, you can look me up on my website. My email is Christina with a K at HamiltonRecruiting.com. It's a good way to get me. Or my yeah, the website is just Hamilton, Hamilton Recruiting here in Ottawa. Happy to chat. Great. And and Sarah, if anybody wanted to learn more about the great things that uh, the Taggart Group uh, is up to and all the different companies and. Uh, and maybe what what opportunities you guys might have out there right now? Uh, how would somebody find find you guys? Uh, they can go to our careers page on taggart.ca. Wonderful, perfect. Uh, well, look, that pretty much concludes episode three of the ULI Ottawa podcast. Thank you, Christina, and thank you, Sarah, for your contributions to today. I think we had a lot of interesting and intriguing conversation being on the labor pool and sort of the status of the labor market. Um, so thank you. That's great. Thank you. Tell you guys. Follow ULI Ottawa on LinkedIn and Instagram, or visit us online at www.uliottawa.ca.